Hey guys, this is Sharad with Recently. I'm the host of Recently Podcast and I have the honor of having Jesse Alvarez on today's podcast interview. Hey Jesse, how are you doing, man? Living the dream. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where you're joining from, what do you do? How did you get started in real estate? I live in Northern California now, just outside of the Bay Area. Um, I grew up in Oregon, small town in Oregon, and uh, I grew up in a family pretty middle class. Um, but uh, one thing about my family that I guess was unique is everybody invested in real estate one way or another. Um, and so I kind of grew up uh, around real estate my entire life. Um, I don't think I ever uh, would consider either of my parents or grandparents real estate investors, but they knew that if they bought real estate, bought the right real estate and held it for long enough, that uh, in the long term, it would be a good investment for them. So they, there wasn't really any discussion of strategies or uh, why they were buying certain uh, properties or uh, 1031 exchanges. There was none of those type of conversations really growing up, but I kind of assumed that someday in my life, I'd probably own some real estate. Uh, so when I was uh, 19, I got in a little argument with my parents and uh, moved out. Um, maybe I was a little rebellious at the time. And uh, so I guess I got kicked out. I didn't move out, but <laughs> I ended up sleeping on a, a buddy's couch, um, my best friend's couch. And uh, um, the time came where his parents had owned that property for a while. They wanted to sell it and they asked me if I wanted to buy it. And I was 19 at the time. And I was like, I, I, I I don't know. <laughs> so I, I kind of lucked into a deal where uh, they seller financed me my first property at 19 with 10% down. Um, so that's kind of where it got started. And then uh, I got locked into the the corporate world where I had the golden handcuffs where I just couldn't leave and they took care of me so well. So I was, I was uh, working in corporate America for almost 15 years. And uh, um, I started investing in real estate, I guess, as an investor uh, around 2011, where I bought my first place uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. Got it. And then do you still own the property that you bought as the, uh, your, your buddy's parents' house? No, we ended up 1031 exchanging that uh, into a, a better property. Um, at the time, I bought it because it was an opportunity to purchase with seller financing. And this is before anybody even talked about seller financing. There was right. no YouTube or anything to really learn that type of stuff. So it was really my my buddy's parents that were like, well, this is an option. You don't have to go to the bank. And so that's uh, incredible. Um, it's yeah, incredible. I kind of just have that locked into that you? one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. And then where was that property? Was that in Oregon? Yeah, that was up in Oregon, uh, in Sherwood, Oregon. It's a suburb of, uh, of Portland. And then... And 15 years you worked in corporate real estate and then why buy in Phoenix? Um, well, I was living in San Jose at the time. Uh, I grew up in Oregon and I got recruited uh, down to the Bay Area and I was looking at the cost of houses and I was like, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy what people are paying for houses. And so uh, I was never home. I was on the road um, five days out of the week. And uh, so I just started stacking my paychecks and uh, ended up buying my first place in Phoenix um, because I did some studying on the markets and it was one of the hardest hit by the the um, housing downturn. So uh, they were selling houses for almost nothing. They were giving them away. <laughs> right. 
So you bought it as an investment property just to strictly keep it as a rental property, right? And then yeah, hopefully yeah. get some appreciation. Absolutely. Yeah, when it you... was uh it was a short sell, so um it had a little bit of distress, but it there wasn't really any strategy around buying a distressed property or direct to seller or anything like that. It was uh, on the market for quite a while, but at that time, stuff was sitting on the market for quite a while. Right. Um, nothing was selling in 2011. Prices were just tanking. Were you actively looking to, were you actively studying the Phoenix market or are you just kind of, you know, read a little bit online? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we don't invest anywhere unless we fully understand the market, the neighborhood, the street. We were very strategic. Uh, this investment was a newer development. Um, and when I was studying that neighborhood, I saw there was a long strip um, through the center of the neighborhood. And I thought it was the most weird thing. I was like, what is this? Is this power lines? What's going through the middle of this neighborhood? And I pulled up Google Maps, did my research, and there's nothing there. It's just this long strip of grass through the middle of the neighborhood. It's not a park. And so I kept digging and I found out it was the um, the freeway extension and this neighborhood was a pretty remote neighborhood. That's part of the reason why the prices were as low, but it was still in Phoenix. Um, and they were about to build a eight lane freeway right through the middle of the neighborhood, which some people would say that sounds horrible. But if you're commuting into downtown Phoenix or going up to Scottsdale, yeah. you, your drive into work goes from 30 minutes down to eight. So um, it, I knew it was going to make the the neighborhood much more desirable and there was going to be some businesses that came in and it was really going to change that part of town. And it, it did. If you don't mind sharing, how much did you pay for the property? Do you still own it or did you exit from it? So we, I paid 60,000 for it. Um, it was a three bedroom, two bath track home, um, 1533 square feet, just your average single level track home. Um, and right. we ended up exiting from that and 1031ing it into a, uh, a triplex here in California a couple of years ago, um, but we ended up selling it for, I think it was like 225, 250, somewhere around there. Oh, yeah. You like four extra money on that. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah, bad. Not a, not a, not bad at all. Yeah. Not bad at all. So you, you mentioned that, you know, a few moments ago, like when we buy a property, so I'm assuming this is not just you doing anymore. So what happened after that kind of just, you know, walk us through on your progress? Sure. So uh, I guess my, Third property would have been my first place in California, which is, uh, it's still actually our primary residence. Growing up in Oregon, everybody kind of moves out when they're 18 or 19 or they get kicked out like me. They kind of buy a small starter home. But as soon as I moved to California, I realized there's a lot of, uh, well, we refer to it as the California house hack, where you find a house with multiple bedrooms, you rent out the bedrooms to people and it pays your mortgage. So I started researching different ways to be able to buy a house in California. And I started doing the math and I was like, I can buy a four bedroom house right now and I can rent out the three bedrooms and live for free. And I was like, that sounds right. pretty good. <laughs> right. So uh, I had a little bit of money saved up at the time, but nothing nearly enough for a down payment on a California house. So I took a loan for my 401k for the down payment and then purchased that place. So I rented out the three bedrooms for about a year or two and uh, literally living rent-free, being able to save more and more money to buy more properties. And uh, eventually um, I met my now wife, Isabel, 
And uh, she said, okay, we're, we're adults now. You probably, probably need to have the roommates move out. <laughs> so, right. and then what happened? Like, so you bought that third property, then what kind of, you know, led you on to the next deal and just uh, getting deeper into real estate investment journey? Yeah. So at that point we were, I was still only at, I guess, three doors. And so um, it started becoming pretty apparent to me that this was a good way to build wealth. And um, the market obviously I, the first, well, the second and third properties that I bought were in such a low time in the market, 2011, 2013, where the prices were just so low and they were going up so fast. Um, and so we, we started looking at other options. We bought a, I bought a duplex with my mother here in town, um, that, uh, we still hold to this day. And then, uh, my wife is, uh, primarily the, the only other person I've invested with. And, um, we, are buying duplexes, triplexes here in Northern California. And, uh, we, we target, um, I would say a pretty specific, um, type of property. We're looking for like B plus a minus type neighborhoods, but that have duplexes and triplexes in them, which are right. pretty hard to find. And we look for, uh, distressed properties, obviously. And what we're doing is we're buying these distressed properties. We're fixing them up and, we're probably guilty of over-improving for rentals, but it's part of our strategy and it's worked really well is we we over-improve the property and we get those tenants that have a very high income, very high credit score um, and want are willing and able to pay a higher rent premium to get themselves into a nicer neighborhood as a renter. And what part of Northern California are buying these properties in? So we live in Tracy, California. So we're just we're basically in between San Francisco and Sacramento. It's kind of a bedroom community. A lot of people commute into the Bay Area for their tech jobs. So there's a lot of young tech professionals that live in this area and then commute in. Um, so that's primarily what a lot of our tenants are is young tech professionals. And how far are you from like uh, the Silicon Valley area? Like about 45 minutes or an hour? <laughs> Uh, without traffic, you can get there in probably about 35 minutes. Uh, but, uh, with that traffic, it could be, it could be pretty bad. Uh, yeah. so over an hour. Yeah. Uh, right. yesterday I drove into Santa Clara and it took an hour, so not too bad. Yeah, that's not too bad. And then are you primarily just investing in California market now, or are you still doing out of state investing? So we, we pulled, we had a couple properties in Phoenix. We pulled out of there. We had uh, a couple up in Oregon, uh, pulled out of Oregon. And right now we're, we're primarily only in Cal Northern California within an hour is kind of our, our market within an hour of our home. I'm curious, what's the reason for that? You know, you're familiar with investing out of state, you know, you, you grew up in a different state. You, you understand you can get higher rate of return, you know, cash flow on out-of-state properties. Like why invest in your backyard? I think it ha mostly has to do with being able to understand our market and know it inside and out. Um, I, I could be flying out to the Midwest and, and researching markets there. Um, I'm really comfortable with Northern California because I understand it. Um, and I think I don't want to ever have analysis paralysis and and not right. invest. Um and so uh, California, everybody hates in California real estate investing. It, it gets a lot of bad rap online. Um, we actually love it. Uh, so are you familiar with Prop 13? Uh, I'm not. I just moved to California like six months ago. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so There's Prop 13. There's something crazy going on with California. Yeah. I know that. 
we have such a massive housing shortage. And if you were to watch the news, you'd think the, the world was coming to an end. But um, we have such a massive housing shortage and there's a very, very limited amount of land to build on. Um, so in the Bay Area specifically, there's there's not a whole lot of buildable land. So they're literally tearing down houses to build apartment complexes now. Um, so we have a supply restraint that's um, definitely helping with the appreciation. And then we've got more red tape than you could ever imagine to, to make sure that that kind of stays intact. So our rents are very strong. Our renter base is very strong. Um, the quality of tenants is phenomenal. Their incomes is great. And the numbers, um, I think I would rather own one duplex or triplex here and get the cash flow that we're getting uh, than own a maybe a seven or eight unit in the Midwest that cash flow is exactly the same. I only have to deal with one or two uh, broken toilets instead of eight. Right. So there's some distinct advantages. Um, we uh, we utilize the Burr method on a lot of these. Um, so we're looking for distressed, we're adding value, and then we're doing a cash out refi to pull our equity out and roll it into the next project. So um, on a lot of these, we're able to uh, pull out all of our capital that we've invested into the down payment and the rehab cost, and then roll it into the next property. Between the appreciation and the cash flow, um, it's it's hard to rival it. Yeah, no, I totally uh, get it. Uh, California, you can't beat the appreciation. Yeah, I just like for any, pretty much any 10 year period that you hold the property, it's going to going to go up are you buying yeah. primarily for cash flow or appreciation if the property didn't appreciate and you just got cash flow would you be happy with that so that's that's everybody's favorite question and i like to think that we're somewhere in the middle we're buying in neighborhoods that are high appreciation but i'm making sure that they cash flow well on day one so that on year 10 they're cash flowing phenomenally well uh, Prop 13 limits our property taxes, how much they can go up. So if you hold something for 10 years, the cash flow only gets better. Um, every time that a tenant moves out, uh, the rents are significantly higher. Um, so we're, we just had a tenant move out uh, last week and uh, we're able to raise rents $450 just on that unit, um, just wow. over a three-year period. Wow. That's like extra 5,000. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And then can you walk us through like your typical numbers on a property, like your average deal? What does that look like? So, yeah, I can give you a kind of a, a general thing of what our, our last few have looked like. It's it's a little different the last couple of years uh, or specifically the last year uh, because of what interest rates have done. Um, but typically we're looking for a distressed property somewhere in the 350 to 450 range that um, we can put in 100K, maybe 150K into. And then usually the ARV after that is somewhere in the 650 to 750 range. Right. So, And then are you buying these properties with your own money up front and then doing refi? Or do you have a hard we're, money, a private money? We're, we're doing conventional, uh, conventional lending on almost everything. So we do have a seller financing deal going through right now on two properties. Actually, that's... That's going to be the the one out-of-state property that I'm going to have, or two out-of-state properties that I'm going to have, uh, but primarily conventional lending, uh, but still uh, able to get conventional on these distressed. So it's uh, they still have the bones to be able to get the conventional lending. So these properties that you're buying, getting conventional loans, are they functional properties, but just need 
updating they're right. updating uh we bought a grow house marijuana grow house that <laughs> nice. was uh in pretty rough shape um so that you one, able to get uh, financing on that we were able to get financing on it um mostly due to the fact that uh the problem with the marijuana grow house um was in the attic so we ended up having to gut the entire house because once we did a little bit more diving it everything had to be gutted but the untrained eye it looked like a beautiful move and ready house right wow interesting and then what about the money for rehab is that your own money or are you getting bank to lend you money on that too so it's a combination uh, of either money that we have from the cash flow of the rental properties uh, we also have a heloc that we utilize for some of the rehabs and then once okay. we refi we pay off the heloc sometimes based on how much we just pulled out of a, a refinance we may have the money sitting around so um, i think one thing that might be a little bit different than our strategy than everybody else's would be that we're pretty dang patient. We're looking for the right property. We're looking for a deal. Uh, we're not trying to grow our portfolio to 5,000 doors overnight. Um, we're just comfortable. And uh, my wife still has her W-2 job. Um, I also own uh, three other businesses. So we're very, very involved in uh, the our work lives as well. So uh, we eventually might get into full-time on real estate, but I think we kind of like the balance of being able to go back and forth between work and real estate and, and play. And then how are you finding these properties? So previously, a lot of them were found on market and we would look for properties that were sitting on the market for 90 plus days. And um, I would underwrite it before even viewing it. I'd call the realtor and ask them questions about the property. Why isn't it selling? And a lot of the time you can, you can call the realtor and figure out what the, what the issue is. And if there's a deal to be had there, um, lately it's became more and more on relationships. So, um, almost all of our businesses are involved in real estate one way or another. Um, so I spend a lot of time talking to realtors. I spend a lot of time talking to homeowners. So we're able to find deals off market before they hit the market. And that's, that's kind of been our, our sweet spot lately. And then when you're working with an agent on these properties, are you, do you have your own buyer's agent? Are you just working directly with the listing agent? Depends. Um, the, the one we're working on right now, we we're, we went direct to the seller and negotiated everything. And then we have an attorney writing it up, obviously, but, and reviewing everything. But um, a lot of the time I have a buyer's agent that, that puts in the offer for me. And um, a lot of the time we're finding it ourselves and, uh, um, we're coming to them with the offer. Um, and I'll admit, sometimes these offers are a little disrespectful. <laughs> I mean, right. based on the condition of the property, um, we we put in some offers that, I mean, most wholesalers wouldn't have an issue with these offers, but for the average on-market listing, sometimes they, they don't like what we're offering them, but a lot of times they don't have a choice. Yeah. I mean, you know, the worst that's going to happen is they say no, but the best is, hey, they come back, either they accept it or they come back with the counter so you know they have some motivation going on there. Uh, absolutely. And we've been surprised that um, the agent was like, there's no way my client's going to accept this, but I'll present it to them. And then sure enough, they accepted it. So yeah. uh, the worst she can do is ask. Oh, absolutely. I remember first property I bought was listed on the market of 65. I made an offer of 20, just thinking what's the worst that's going to happen. And I think they accepted for like twenty two five or twenty five thousand. I would have never yeah. imagined that, but I'm like, hey, yeah. you know, I'll never know unless I make an offer on these properties. Exactly, exactly. And you said you have 
couple of other businesses in real estate. What other businesses do you have? So I, I own a business called Suncrest Digital. We do uh, 3D virtual tours and real estate photography. Um, so we do web websites nice. for real estate. We do marketing flyers. We do marketing videos. We do pretty much everything you could. Primarily for agents, I would imagine. Uh, primarily for agents. We also do a lot of um, 3D virtual scans for um, like remodels, uh, a lot okay. of commercial buildings, yeah. a lot of like Nike, Jamba Juice, Baskin Robbins. Anytime they're trying to do a remodel, we'll go in there okay. and do a 3D scan of their property so that they have a BIM model to to do the remodel. Right. Yeah, so that's going to be cool that if an agent reaches out to you, kind of know that property is coming on the market and sometimes you're able to make a deal on that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how the last two have come along is from right. agents I actually uh, have relationships with that I work for on a regular basis and they know they know we're actively buying in the area. Right. Are you doing anything actively to like nurture these relationships, build, you know, new relationships or you just have like a small group of agents that you're working with? So right now I've probably got about 75 to 100 agents that um, I work for on a regular basis. And yeah, a lot of it's, uh, I see them on a regular basis. Um, and right. I think that's, uh, I very easily could hire somebody to do my job for me, but that would take out the relationship part of the okay. business. Okay. And and I actually enjoy what I do. So, um, and I like being able to show up at a property and I like walking properties, even if I'm not right. planning on buying them. So I see a whole lot of real estate and I get a really good feel from what the market's doing in certain neighborhoods, why people are selling. I get to talk to sellers all the time, daily, okay. and and kind of get the inside scoop from sellers, from agents, from from contractors. What I've basically got my ear to the ground to be able to hear um, what's happening in our market. That's fantastic, man. And then you're doing some pretty big rehabs. You have a contracting background are you the one who's you know coming up with the estimated value i mean estimated rehab number or once you get the property under contract then you have a contract to walk through so um i'm basically the gc on all of our projects my dad is a contractor up in oregon um so i grew up uh, slinging hammers and um helping out with that type of stuff so uh when we first started investing um i think more seriously a lot of it was uh, us staying at the property till midnight painting walls. And right. so I think the value in doing it that way, at least to begin with, is you start learning how long things take to to fix, how to fix them, what the cost should be. Um, and so then when you're starting to, to get to a higher level where you need to start bidding out jobs to different people, um, you know what stuff should cost. So I'm able to walk through a property now and say, okay, that toilet's going to cost 120 bucks to replace. This is going to cost 50. This is, and I'm able to walk through the property pretty quickly and and figure out what our rehab budget's going to be on that property uh, because we've done it so many times. And uh, one of the things that we do um, is we hold all of these properties long-term as rentals, but we use the same exact um, flooring, the same exact paint, the same exact cabinets in every single one of them. So it, there's not really much of a guessing game on like, how much right. is this one going to cost? And then whenever a tenant moves out, we already have the paint. We already have the flooring. We already know what's in that property. There's no going back to my notes, trying to figure out what we did on that one specific property because we do the same thing every single time. And anyone that's listening to the show and they live in a, you know, more higher price market, you know, either in California, New York, or, you know, on the coast or other markets like what would you what would you tell them on getting started 
should they look for you know just to get started like you buy something out of state or just you know double down on their backyard even if it's expensive it depends uh, on your specific situation at, at the time um i had a very good income and i wasn't concerned about um cash flow nearly as much i was more concerned about long term appreciation and uh, I also wasn't home very often. So the the California house hack worked very well for my situation. Um, there's other people that uh, they are trying to leave their nine to five job and cash flow is very important to them. I think uh, investing in the the Midwest where you get a lot more cash flow uh, might be the right thing for, for some people uh, out the gate. Um, if you have a higher income and you're trying to invest in your specific market, there's obviously a lot of tax advantages to it being owner-occupied. You're able to, I guess, know your market quite a bit better because you live there. <laughs> right. Um, so I think uh, I think there's pros and cons to both both of it. But I think if if you're in a high-cost market and you're trying to figure out what to do, I think the, the first thing you have to do is just learn your market. Learn what you can afford. If you can't afford it and you can't find a way to seller finance it or um, you can't find something maybe 15, 20 minutes outside of town that's a little more affordable, um, then then out of state might be your best option. And I know when I was trying to buy my first place, San Jose seemed very, very, very overwhelming from a price standpoint. I came from Oregon. So moving to the Bay Area was like numbers were mind boggling. Um, right. So once you live here for a while, you start getting used to it and you're like, oh, that's $2 million. Okay. <laughs> Adding an extra zero or two after the Oregon prices, right? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Um, would you buy anything if you felt confident about appreciation if the property did not cash flow from day one? Uh, in our current situation, absolutely. We've got enough cash flow now that we're not really concerned about the cash flow. So uh, with where the interest rates have gone over the last year, we've got a refi. We pulled all of our money back out of it on the burr, and it barely cash flows. Um, but I still really like that community. We've got eight doors on like the same two streets. And so uh, we feel confident about that community. We feel confident about that property because we just went through every bit of it, uh, rehabbing it. We've got good tenants in place. So um, I think I think there it really comes down to what you're comfortable with, and if you if an extra three or four hundred dollars a month makes a difference to your lifestyle, then you should be investing in the Midwest. If you're not concerned about that extra three or four hundred dollars a month per door, then then maybe um, you can you can go with some of these more high appreciation, longer term holds where the yeah. the appreciation is going to pay you back probably a lot more than that three or four hundred a month. Yeah, when you look at like even if you're cash flowing, I mean you have negative cash flow three to four hundred bucks a month. That's like you know, let's say five thousand for the year, and if it's a five hundred thousand dollar property, it just has to appreciate one percent for you to like break even, including the you know on the equity side of it. If it appreciates, yeah. you know, let's say five percent, then you have extra twenty thousand dollars after the negative cash flow. So definitely, I mean, if appreciation, you could rely on appreciation the amount of money you would make on appreciation would i think far outpace what you're going to make from cash flow that's not what i personally recommend anyone like i buy in midwest but cash flow is very important for us my my thought process is okay if i buy something i know cash flow i can count on it from day one it's only going to go up after that 
that mm-hmm. if appreciation happens, that's bonus. But someone who's buying in California, um, there's a, a friend of mine I was talking to the other day. He's buying a million dollar property and it's going to negative cash flow like 600 bucks. I, I said mm-hmm. the same thing to him. If it's just the property just appreciates 1% for the year, you're going to be positive, you know, in equity. Uh, but it's up to you if you can hold that six, $700 negative cash flow for a couple of years because the rent is going to go up uh, eventually. Yeah. And then you'll start breaking even. Then you're going to start having positive cash flow. So it's very interesting, like buying for me, buying everything in Midwest and looking at these California properties and investors feeling more comfortable with buying, you know, break even or in some cases negative cash flow, knowing that the appreciation is something that they can rely on. It's a totally different yeah. market. Yeah. We, we, I don't think we've ever purchased anything that was negative cash flow from day right. one. Um, it's all value add to oh, be able right. to uh, to get the cash flow, also to pull the money back out yeah. on the refi. When you're buying properties now, like how big of a factor it is in your cash flow, uh, the higher interest rate and the fact that hopefully you'll be able to refi in two or three years for a much lower and have the additional cash flow. Are you going in saying, hey, Worst case, this is going to be my high interest rate for next 30 years. Yeah, that's kind of how we're underwriting everything right now is we're assuming that interest rates are going to stay high, but you know it's going to be icing on the cake as yeah. soon as they do come it's... back down. And and they have to come back down eventually. Are they ever going to be 3% again? I don't know. My crystal yeah. ball's broken now. But uh, <laughs> I think uh, eventually they will come back down. And like I've told my wife, uh, the second that they do come back down, we're going to do several refis. We're going to be able to pull out a substantial amount of equity that's just sitting there. And uh, we're we're going to cash flow even better um, at the lower interest rates. So um, I think... Uh, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a wild time as soon as interest rates come back down because the the market's just so uh, um, repressed right now. Yeah, and I think that's the smart thing to do is like if it cash flows, if the numbers make sense with the higher interest rate, it's only gonna be a bonus, you know, if if and when the interest rates come down. So, uh, are you working with a local bank? I assume. Uh, I have a broker that we go through, and he he finds us really, really, really competitive rates. Okay, so it's not just one bank. You just work with no. the broker and then he'll yep. just get you the best uh, terms. Okay. And then you yep. do refine 30-year fixed. Yep. And uh, one thing that we sometimes do on these is uh, as long as it's still cash flows, we'll take a lender credit for a higher interest rate on the purchase. And okay. then when we refinance it, we pay down to get a lower interest rate on the refi. Right. Cool. So awesome, um, that... I, th- I think we have an investment property that's at like 3.25% uh, because we bought it down 30 year fixed. And so uh, that seems like a dream now after seeing what rates are that's at now. True. But that's like literally less than half of what investors are getting right now. Yeah. 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 I have crazy. a friend of mine who has uh, his primary resident in California, 30 year fixed at like 2.5 or 2.6%. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's like one third of the interest rate right now. That's insane. Yeah. Just our primary, like, our primary is at 2.6. So wow. I told my wife we're probably stuck here forever. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's just like who would want to just get rid of that, you know, sub three, four percent interest rate. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. That's man. crazy. Cool, man. All right. Moving on to the next section of our podcast. What do you do for fun? Travel. Um, we're really, really big on traveling and we do many getaways. So we'll go away for the weekend to uh, Vegas or get away to Hawaii f- just for the weekend. Um, nice. pr- 
Our probably favorite place is Cancun. Close seconds, probably Bora Bora. Yeah. So do you guys have any kids? Uh, my wife is actually pregnant right now. So oh, she's, cool. Congratulations. Uh, we're expecting in uh, June. Thank you so much. We're super okay. excited. So we're about to have a new hobby. <laughs> nice, nice. A boy or a girl? Or are you going to keep it a surprise? It's, it's a boy. Yeah. It's a boy. Oh, man. Yeah. That's many congratulations. Yeah. I was Thank you so much. Like, you know, you've had these weekend getaways. So I was wondering if you have kids. I have two kids. So the weekend getaways don't always happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we we've been trying to maximize the weekend getaways the last uh, month or two. Absolutely. Uh, while they still yeah. exist. <laughs> get that get that all out of your system, man. The next year exactly. is going to be very very interesting. Yeah. Congratulations to you and your wife. Um, Thank you. Uh, what's the one book that has had the biggest influence in your life? It could be personal. It could be business. Could be one of each. I hate saying it, but it's the truth. So I have to say it. Um, rich dad, poor dad. Oh man. I, I was just, I, I should have guessed that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I hate saying it just because yeah. it's so cliche, but I think that was really when like the light switch in my head clicked about yeah. liabilities and assets and being able to understand, uh, my parents and my grandparents were very, very good at making investments. Um, but they never explained any of that to me. Right. And it so just came naturally reading, to them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, I guess it was just out of habit. They did what they did, right. but they never understood why they did what they did. And yeah. so rich dad was able to put that into words and, and just make the light switch click in my head of why, why it works. And so, uh, I think that was the biggest one. Isn't that amazing? Like after you read the book, you're like, man, this is just such common sense. Almost like you should, is this something they should teach it in school? You know, absolutely it's like such a basic it, thing. But when you read it, like, holy crap, like, this is amazing. Yeah. Our, our schools don't teach the right things, I'm convinced. Yeah. And I think every, I think that should be required learning for like absolutely. every grade schooler. 100% agree with that. All right, man. If there is one person dead or alive that you could spend a day with, who would you want to spend the day with and why? That's a good question. Uh, so I'm torn. I've got, uh, I've got like a personal one and then like a entertainment one. So I'm that's gonna give right. you two you can, answers. Yeah, that's cool. I'll give you two answers. So from like a personal standpoint, I think Tony Robbins would be amazing to spend a day with. Nice. Um, yeah. the, his thought process and the way he understands things. I've, I've seen him a couple of times in person and I leave every time just like in awe with how, his understanding of us <laughs> and right. why we do things the way we do them. And and what works. And, uh, so I'm, I'm blown away by Tony and I, I think, uh, it'd be a, it'd be a pretty cool day, a pretty cool experience oh, 100%. spend a day with yeah. Tony. Yeah. Um, from an entertainment standpoint, I think Elon Musk, uh, oh, yeah? I don't know. I don't know anybody that would probably be more entertaining for an entire day. Absolutely. <laughs> and he's, he, he's also next level. Process. Yeah. Next level smart way. where he's just thinking different. And that that's intriguing to me. Yeah, maybe you can talk to him and start buying some properties on Mars, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> cool, yeah. I Jesse, this has been great, Ben. If someone wants to connect with you, learn a little bit more about what you're doing, what's the best way uh, for them to connect with you? So we we share uh, some of our real estate journey at on Instagram at Rehab Hackers. Um, cool. And so uh, we it used to be a lot more focused around uh, rehabbing properties and finding uh inexpensive ways to do these rehabs. 
Um, and right now it's more focused around just real estate in general. So we, we try to give tips and if anybody has any questions about real estate or, uh, we go to a lot of the real estate meetup meetups in the area. So we like meeting new people, building connections. And, uh, um, so reach out to us, especially if you're in Northern California. Absolutely. man. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank you, Jesse. This has been absolutely wonderful talking to you, man. Thank you so much.